And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how's your evening going? It's going pretty great. How's yours, man? It's not too bad. I'm looking forward to discussing this episode with you. Uh, you teased at the end of last week. Um, not long ago, we talked about road trip comedies without a destination. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to be looking at road trip thrillers, um, specifically things that just go horribly, horribly wrong for our protagonists in question. Um, but I will go ahead and kick it over to you to describe uh, the picks and, and a little bit of the backstory on the choice. Yeah, exactly. So uh, these well, two of the movies that are part of this episode are, are ones that I wanted to talk about, and I was having trouble sort of fitting them into the framework of an episode. I, I didn't know exactly how to compare them or what to compare them to. And then really it was your uh, uh, road trip without a destination episode that sort of spurred it as to like, well, that's exactly what these are, just you know, not comedies, um, sort of like wild hogs, uh, not comedies. So, uh, wild hogs is more horrifying than any of these movies we're going to talk about. So I was much more, uh, uncomfortable watching wild hogs than I was watching any of the movies that are part of today's episode. But, um, I digress. Uh, the one, uh, and I can go ahead and just introduce them real quick and, and just get them in order so we can start, start, start talking about the framework of them. But, um, and I got to pull it up just to remind myself. Uh, the good choice is going to be Breakdown from 1997, directed by Jonathan Mostow. Uh, the bad is Rest Stop from 2006, directed by John Shiban or Shiban. Um, and the what is going to be The Hitcher from 1986, directed by Robert Harmon. Um, and I saw Breakdown for the first time two years ago. Uh, my wife and I are uh, unabashed uh, Russell Crowe fans. And. Um, I, I was Kurt Russell it. fans you mean uh, Kurt Russell's <laughs> who did I say oh god Russell Crowe Russell Crowe I mean maybe uh, you're a huge Russell Crowe fan I don't know not not nearly as big of a Russell Crowe fan but don't let him know that it'll kick my ass um I see Kurt that Russell body fan. of lies poster in your house <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, huge Kurt Russell fans uh, grew up. I mean, I'm also a John Carpenter fan, so I grew up watching all the movies featuring him there. But even as we were listing off before we started recording, um, Captain Ron, Overboard, all of those were were part of my, my growing up. And, and so uh, I was doing a challenge to watch 300 movies in a year that I'd never seen before, just to sort of like re-kickstart my, my love of movies as I, I felt it I'd, been falling into re-watching a lot of my favorites instead of actually trying new flavors and so on a whim we threw on breakdown and both loved it uh, and we'll get into it for obvious reasons uh and then recently hitcher was a blind spot for me being a huge horror fan um it, it had always been on lists of movies like or movies we suggest and i just never gotten around to it finally watched it because it's on hbo max and all i also loved that um 
and then we needed a bad so then i watched rest stop and i hated it and i threw that into the episode so that's sort of the framework of what we're talking about today people on the road going somewhere and then crazy shit happens to them uh and then hopefully it's a blast hopefully so and i I think you have also an interesting uh sort of gamut like i feel like these movies the three of them speak to each other in in one way or the other or there's at least a sort of like uh a sort of evolving i don't want to say evolving approach necessarily but there there's uh just different ways to go about it like we have one that's very very tight-knit very like clean in its execution Mm -hmm. like uses like really good tension and spatial geography and like draws out a mystery really well, but it's like very grounded. And then you have one that like tries to sort of operate on a dream logic level and it doesn't really um, do that in a successful way. And then you have another one that does do it in a successful way, but it's more like nightmare logic and it's just a Mm -hmm. full fledged, like absolute like white knuckle piece of terror um, Mm -hmm. from beginning to end. Um, So I think, I think you have an interesting range of the same type of movie. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to diving into them for sure. And I was just going to add on to preface, uh, this is the first time watch of both Breakdown and Rest Stop for me. Uh, I've mm-hmm. seen The Hitcher a few times, but this is the first time for me on the other two. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see what you got to say about them. But I, I say, you know, without further ado, let's not make another two-hour-plus episode. We can yes. just jump into... <laughs> uh, we could jump into Breakdown... Um, so, uh, breakdown, uh, on a cross country road trip, Jeff Taylor played by Kurt Russell and his wife, Amy Kathleen Quinlan are sidetracked when their car suddenly breaks down in the Arizona desert. They separate when a passing truck driver, JT Walsh offers to give Amy a ride into town to call a tow truck. But when Jeff goes to reunite, Amy is nowhere to be seen and no one in town seems to have any idea what he's talking about. Um, Ryan, this is a first time watch for you. Uh, I would love to know your first impressions. I I really liked this movie and Good. and I'm really glad you pointed me in the direction because um I I I like I like Kurt Russell I do you mm-hmm. know uh, um you know he certainly but I don't have that sort of um I don't have that sort of uh uh I don't know what nostalgia like whatever you want to call it like sure. I didn't like grow up watching like Kurt Russell movies except for Escape from New York of course um but like <laughs> even the thing I watched like more when I was probably in like middle school high school. Um, so like, and usually in my film, like when I'm trying to find new things, I'm usually, I kind of start with directors more than I do actors. So, um, with that being said, breakdown otherwise probably wouldn't have fell on my radar. It's like, I like Kurt Russell, but like that wouldn't have been a driving force. Mm -hmm. It's directed by Jonathan Mostow, who we have talked about on this podcast before he directed Terminator three rise of the machines. Um, which I mean, (laughs) I, I think maybe that's another, maybe a good kind of place to start because the one thing I didn't go back and listen to that episode, um, where we talked about Terminator and I should have because I don't really remember it and I tested positive for COVID the day after we recorded it so it's really all a fog in my brain fever but dream. Yeah. we didn't uh, even I make did... an episode about Terminator 3 what are you talking oh about oh my god oh. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um, <laughs> so but if I remember I don't know if I said it on the episode or maybe I, I, I wrote it somewhere is like the sort of geography of the movie. That's like the one thing mm. I, I praise. Cause I think the action in that movie was like, well done. The movie sure. is not good, but I remember like really liking the sort of action set pieces in the movie. I thought they were well constructed. And this movie is not like an action movie, but like the use of negative space in this movie mm. and like how sort of like, I feel like it really 
almost right away gets to the heart of the fear of this sort of situation where it's like, I'm stranded in the middle of the desert in Mm -hmm. the American Southwest for like nothing to see for miles and miles, no one to help. And this is the absolute worst case scenario. And like, you're, it's just like, it's just a free for all essentially at that point where it's just like, you are, you know, anybody could just sort of dump your body in the desert, really, so to speak, right? Yeah. And so so I feel like the movie gets to the heart of that, like, really quickly. And I, I was impressed with how the economical the storytelling is in the movie. Like, we get into it right away. Um, you know, you mentioned this. You said your synopsis here, right? That only encompasses the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, roughly. Right. But it does a great job of immediately, like, they're driving cross-country, um, we could tell things that are being said without being said um, between our two protagonists. Um, like clearly they're having financial troubles, which factors into one of the most intense scenes in the movie. Yep. Um, and then and then they're driving and he's not paying attention and he almost hits a car and then they, they're confronted by that car in the gas station. And then from there it sort of like trickles down to these like horrific sequences of events. And so it's mm-hmm. like who who's who's in on whatever who's in on this sort of like con that's being ran who's in on on all of this who's in on this corruption um and it's and it works well as a sort of like it starts working well as a whodunit and then it works into like just a just a sweat drenched uh suspense thriller from beginning Mm -hmm. to end and i the other thing i like about it as well is that um Kurt Russell, because in a lot of ways, I mean, he finds himself in, a, you know, like an action role, right? And so there's a yeah. certain amount of like, um, sort of like plot armor that could get instilled into the character, or like, you know, they, you know, they're going to be fine. But like, I love the decisions that his character makes in this movie. Like, they're actual like logical decisions that a person with none of these skill sets and backed up in a corner would try and make. Right. And so, like, I, I think that's the other thing that helps, like, and, and Russell is good. He also doesn't have a ton of dialogue in the movie nope. either. Like, it's a lot of sort of, like, only spoken what needs to be said and not in a Snake Plissken kind of way, but just in a I'm scared for my life sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I was, like, also, I'm like, he's really kind of undervalued i think as an actor like a capital a actor like he's a movie star but like in the right sort of fit he's like a really good actor as well and this was uh, i thought like a terrific showcase and like i said otherwise probably wouldn't have checked it out to be honest so i'm happy that you did uh you you put it on this episode so that i was able to see it yeah i i put it in there because I, i i knew that you hadn't seen it and i i wanted to give you an opportunity to see it because i I was very impressed with this movie for a lot of the same reasons that you just brought up. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to, I'm going to touch on a couple of the points that you did and, and sort of uh, expand on them a, a little bit. Uh, first off, one of the things that you were talking about was sort of showing uh, how, the using negative space and how isolated they are. One of my, the the cinematography of this movie um, is done by Douglas uh, Milsom, who did uh, Full Metal Jacket and mm-hmm. uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um but the the cinematography at the very beginning in the movie, the basically the title credit sequence that's is text over um, basically lines on a map, um, just showing that like we're traveling. But then we'll cut back to like helicopter shots of their car is the only car on the road 
on this slaloming, you know, pretty much like uh, just hilly, uh, but like in the middle of the desert, just redstone yeah. and sagebrush, and there's nothing around them. And it's it sets it up perfectly to like, of course, when the car breaks down later in the movie, you're like, there, there's fucking nothing here. There's no, uh, no anybody. But the you laid it out perfectly where you're talking about them driving. They are having sort of inner uh, strife between them because of their relationship. The uh, near accident with uh, the guy who is Swamp Thing in Con Air. I just want to point yeah. that out. Uh, <laughs> every time I see him, I go, hey, it's Swamp Thing. Um, but uh, they have like a near miss with him. But they have the confrontation at the gas station and they they don't overplay it. Or like there there's no like sting. There, there's no like... Uh, uh, like music that's playing underneath it like this droning ooh, like building dread building tension it's a guy at a gas station being like hey you could have fucking hit me you idiot and then having like a back and forth like tell me something you even care that you damn near killed us back there boy I, I didn't really even see you okay I mean you kind of pulled out in front of me though. like hell I did I saw what happened let's just forget this okay I mean I'm sorry it ever happened I don't want any trouble no, I bet you don't. The most that you think is going to come in this situation is that he might hit Kurt Russell in the mouth. Like, right. it, like But like, it, there's nothing that is making you think that, like, oh, this is going to explode into a much bigger thing. It's a confrontation on the side of the road with, like, a, a local. It, he's an out-of-towner. Kurt Russell's like, hey, man, like, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. He's downplaying it. He's wearing his polo shirt and his khakis. Totally unassuming. Like, and that's another thing about his character that's so great in this movie is that, like, he's not... He's not a former Green Beret that's now retired, and and so when when shit hits the fan, he'll use these survivalist skills that the the they underestimated him, and and they didn't know that he was uh, you know uh, he's got hands registered as deadly weapons. None of that shit enters the movie. He's just a guy who wants to get his wife back, and it's like yeah. the 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 slow sort of burn setup that by the time you realize anything is is wrong you're realizing it sort of alongside kurt russell like just recently watching this with megan so after they leave the the gas station they're driving down the road that's when the car breaks down title mm -hmm. of the movie um when it breaks down the truck that is being driven by swamp thing uh does like a flyby and kind of makes them nervous and they're and they're like oh like that's that that's that guy at the gas station who's giving me shit but he doesn't stop there or anything he just goes on down the road and then a semi truck rolls up and then uh jt walsh uh, uh who's who's playing red bar he gets out of the truck comes up he's like hey what's, what's what seems to be the problem like oh you know i was driving it and it just shut down brand new car i don't know why i would have done that and he's like oh well you know it looks like it could have just overheated um i tell you what i can give you a lift into town and and uh you can you know call a tow truck and and uh, his wife offers to go with him like okay i'll stay with the car you go into town and and call him and then you know we'll we'll meet up at this diner that's like a couple of miles down the road we get like a, a, a short like time lapse and then uh, kurt russell gets out decides to check under the hood again sees some wires are disconnected gets down connects them and then the car starts back up and so okay mm -hmm. so wires became disconnected although we are immediately like okay something nefarious is going on how like why are those disconnected he pulls into town goes to the diner they're supposed to be meeting his wife at walks in there and no one in the diner like the guy behind the counter everybody that's in there is like no nobody came in here talking about calling a tow truck nobody we didn't see any like brunette woman nobody by that name I have no idea what you're talking about and 
it immediately takes a, a, a corner into like the vanishing is yeah. what I would compare it to. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just, it just becomes a, a very like, okay, something is off. Something is wrong as something in the middle of nowhere. I mean, then it continues because he sees the same truck that JT Walsh is driving and uh, flags him down, is able to stop him. And he's like acting completely aloof. He's like, I've never seen you before. I don't know what you're talking about. What? My wife. Where is she? How should I know where your wife is? I'm the guy with the Jeep. <laughs> you gave my wife a ride. You were supposed to drop her off at Bell's Diner. <laughs> Not me, sorry. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. This is like a half an hour ago, for Christ's sake. You don't remember? Look, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've never seen you before in my life. What are you doing? Uh, police officer, played by Rex Lynn, comes up, mm-hmm. and um, he has uh, him search the car, and... Like, Kurt Russell's just, like, so sure he's, like, this man gave my wife a ride, and now, like, she's not here. He's saying he doesn't know where she is. Um, And that's the other great thing, too, is, like, the movie automatically starts, like, automatically instills mistrust Mm -hmm. from all angles. Because you're, like, uh, because you're, like, okay, something is up with this guy. And then you're, like, okay, well, are the cops in on it? And then you... um, I guess two scenes later, because the next scene he's at the sheriff's office, like filling, mm-hmm. filing the missing persons report. That's when he looks on the wall and he sees all the like missing people, like the flyers, which actually ties in into our next movie that we're going to talk about yep. as well. Uh, so definitely have some some leeway there. But then he talks to the one guy because he goes back to the diner, um, you know, continues to ask questions, has a flip out because he sees that the the names are written on on the checks uh, of mm-hmm. of the the patrons so he's like i'm I, he's like trying to go through them and basically forcefully trying to get his way into looking through the checks so he could see that if his wife amy's name was on it and then he gets a gun held at him by the mm-hmm. the shop owner but then he talks to the guy who's seemingly slow mm-hmm. um like basically telling him like you know you gotta go this way that's like they took her man like um, he's like the cops are in on it too, and mm-hmm. and then that's such a that's such a brilliant reveal that that yeah. was a that was a trap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I I, lo- I love that exactly the the sowing mistrust from the very beginning because even when he's in the diner and he's like you haven't seen my wife and everyone's like no we haven't seen your wife which is like we understand like his headspace of course he's flipping the fuck out like my wife is supposed to be here how could you not have seen her like he's not considering any other possibility other than somebody in there saw her and they're not telling him the truth and so then yeah like he sees gt walsh i've never seen you before in my life like he's just being gaslit by the time the cop shows up is how deep does this go is the cop in on it like it's it's like totally small town everybody could just be conspiring to take his wife and so, like, the paranoia just sort of creeps in and, and grows and starts to fester. And you're you're right. The It's uh, Jack Noseworthy, uh, who is in uh, – most everybody would probably recognize him from uh, There's Something About Mary. Um, that he – yeah, he tells him, like, oh, yeah, it's a, you, some guys took your wife. They went out that way. And then the, then the movie just goes off the fucking rails. Then it, then it just becomes – like this crazy chase uh, thriller from then on out. Oh my God. Yeah. And then from the standpoint of like, again, the decisions being made from somebody who again is a clear everyman. like mm-hmm. he's just a blue collar, like probably has like a desk job, like a Peter Gibbons from office space style job um, where he's like, you know, a, a, a um, 
confronted by that pickup truck when he goes exactly where he was told. And so his only way out that he sees is to drive his car into the creek yeah. and have it actually it like run fuck down. It, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and then the whole, oh my God, the one sequence as well, the one that I, I, I was sweating along with Kurt Russell is the bank sequence, like after oh, yeah. he's captured and basically is like, you know, cause of course, um, you know, probably at this point it goes without saying you're also hopefully listen to us for 50 episodes spoilers but um, right. you know we find out this is like an extortionist ring essentially mm-hmm. that they're they've kidnapped his wife and his wife says like you have you know you're like a big shot salesman you have this amount of money in your account um and he throws out a number i think it's ninety thousand dollars and he's mm-hmm. like okay he's like we called in this accident on the freeway you see that cop driving out there it's going to take about 20 minutes for that cracker to get out to the connector another 10 minutes to see there's no accident another 20 minutes to get back in that's 50 minutes that is exactly the amount of time you have to get me my money now before you get any half-baked ideas about calling in the cavalry just remember we're going to be watching you every step of the way and we're gonna be listening on those scanners. And if we see anything unusual, an unmarked car, a plane, one human being who even smells like a cop, well, you can just keep your fucking money, Jeff. And I'll send you pieces of her from time to time. Well, you know, we find out based on the conversations they've had and why it's such a big issue is that he doesn't have $80,000. He has $6,000. (laughs) And... And so, like, you know, just the whole scene of, like, because it's, like, you don't know where the scene's going to go. And I think the scene, what I love is that it takes such a, I feel like a realistic route. Because at that point, like, having watched it for the first time, I'm like, shit, is he going to rob the bank? Mm -hmm. Because it sets up, like, the way that it's framed and the way that... um, that the bank teller is questioning him or it's the bank manager, I think is like questioning him. And then he goes on the phone for like the transfer and he sort of kept looking back over his shoulder. So it's like, Oh, is he going to rob it? But it's like, you know, again, he's just, he's just a normal guy in a situation. So it's like, he just gets a pen and he gets the, the bill, uh, bill wraps so that Mm -hmm. he can try and make it, seem like if anyone wasn't going to count it which is like of course they're going to count it the raps yeah yeah of course they're going to count it before anything but like in his mind he's like maybe just maybe i could pull them i think and it's more money than it is and but god i was just sweating along with him in that well that that scene scene. is is such a slow build of like because we know like that these guys aren't fucking around exactly like you laid out like there are no cops for you to call you're going to walk into that bank. You're going to get the money. We know he doesn't have the money, but they don't know that. They don't know that he, yeah. he wanted to go to the bank. He has to rob it. So when he does go in there, I love that he's talking to that guy. And basically, like, I this is my credit limit. Like, what if I max out my cards? How much money can you give me? Like, he's he's trying to think of, like, what what do I have to do in order to get as much money out of you as possible? And, and the bank teller is like, well, that's not legal. This is impossible. We can get you this much money this day. And we know that the clock is ticking because by the time that cop gets back, he needs to be out of there. And yeah. the I love that there's, like, that moment where he, like, leans forward and he's like, keep, keep riding on the pad. Don't look at me. I'm going to tell you something. I'm about to tell you. You can't call anyone, do you understand? Yes. Whatever happens, just just keep writing on that pad. Please, now, just keep writing. 
They're probably watching me right now. They've got police scanners and the whole town's under surveillance. If I don't walk out of here with... Excuse me. You the manager? And then, like, a guy in, like, a leather jacket comes over behind him and puts his hand yes. on the desk. And he's like, yes. hey, I was told I could talk to you about a loan. And because of that paranoia that has permeated everybody in this town, we are immediately like, is that guy a plant that has been sent? He's, he's in league with J.T. Walsh and the other, uh, the other like, small-towner guys, the extortionist ring, and he's here to keep an eye on him. Which, of course, that's what Kurt Russell thinks. He shuts up. He stops that line. And, like, okay, that avenue is gone. So, like, we immediately know he can't tell him. Because that guy could be part of the game. And so, like, it, it just keeps, like, ratcheting and getting more tense. And we know that there's no out for him. No way he's going to get the money. Um, there, there's just, there are scenes like that that are constructed throughout that keep sort of turning and twisting that knife. That are punctuated by large-scale action scenes. Like, driving his Jeep into the into the river and getting yep. shot at while he's, like, floating down river. And, like, the mm. the they only slow down to put you into a situation where, like... He's on the verge of getting caught, or yes. he could get really injured or killed doing whatever it is that he's doing to get to the next set piece. And like, I love the way that this is constructed. That when it comes down from a peak, you don't valley, you you just start ramping up to the next piece. That was literally the words I was going to say. That it isn't just a all peaks movie, which is yeah. like also like nice because it's like there's such drawing out of the tension. It's it's like sandwiched by that sequence that you were talking about where, where we were talking about where he drives into the river or the sequence mm. preceding this where it's like he has the money and MC Ganey comes and picks him up and duck takes him mm. and like they're driving and then it's like at the same time he's taking the pen and he's getting himself out of the duct tape and then then at that point MC Ganey decides to count the money and realizes that it's just a bunch of one dollar bills sandwiched yep. in between the bigger bills um, but at that point he's got the pen and you know is able to stab him and they have a, yeah, they have a tussle a- and in a, in, a, in a car that's still going and like careening and like getting near cliffs and yeah. shit. So it's like, it's still really tense because it's just like, he's not out of it. He's in, like, no. in a very dangerous situation. Exactly. Well, then they get, they get uh, hijacked, not hijacked, but like the cop, uh, Rex Lynn sees them and mm-hmm. like pulls them over. And then it's like, okay. And then immediately it's like a chase ensues. And then now we have two dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, and you think that the movie's going to keep that sort of momentum, but then it like slows down again of him. Like, okay, I'm going to take the information I have and I'm going to go try and find where JT Walsh is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then he finds his truck and then that sequence where he's yeah on the bottom of the truck, which is just like terrifying. Like, that's like my nightmare. I mean, it's, <laughs> like, it's Indiana Jones style of him, like climbing along the truck, but instead of it, like, Indiana Jones is tense, but it's really fun. And they're yes. playing the the John Williams as he's like climbing like down the pipes and he like lassos it and he's getting like drugged behind the car. It's a fun fantasy sequence, but this movie hasn't been a fantasy up until this point. So like it's much more like, oh shit. Like if he goes down, he's going under the tires. Like there's no reason to believe that he's gonna and he like loses the gun. While he's climbing, so like we like he had a gun, and we're like, cool, he's gonna get to the cabin and get the guy, and the gun falls out of his pants while he's climbing along the bottom of the truck. So he's yes. like, oh, fuck! Like <laughs> right there. <laughs> they just find yes. little moments to be like, and like he's on top and he loses his edge, and now he's just a guy hanging off of a truck, and that was well, shit. What are you gonna do now? Exactly. Yeah, all he can do is just ride along until he's back at, at J T. Walsh's family's like Friday the Thirteenth. 
barn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In more looks, ways than one. Yeah. There yes, are dead bodies in the uh, in the barn. <laughs> yeah. And then that's just a, uh, like the way that 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 ratchets the tension too. like the the whole like and, and again, it's just smart. It's like he's not going in there guns blazing. He can't. He doesn't have right. the upper hand in the situation. But the way it's like he's like scaling the rooftop and like finds an entryway and then like, you know, is able to get the proof that he needs too. because like this has all been it's there's been so much distrust that it's mm-hmm. like I wouldn't say it's vague, but enough distrust to where you're like, OK, is like what is hat like do they really right. have her in like you know the wrapped up somewhere or anything like that so it's like he physically sees that happen that they bring his wife out like in a, a body oh, yeah. like still alive but like you know that they put her in a freezer and so it's like oh okay like he's like With i the got intention the intention of killing her like he yeah like, he absolutely puts her in there and you're like it'll take you about uh like 60 minutes to take all the air out of that thing so like they fully intend to just lock her in a freezer and she'll suffocate yeah, like it's brutal. Matter of fact, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's like he gets proof that he needs, and then then goes into the house, and then it's like that that whole like sort of Mexican standoff scene, which is just like super tense. It's great, and it's like, and it's like another great like you know it's a perfect you know Chekhov's gun situation because that was immediately what I thought of when he walks in because he has his his pistol that he's able mm-hmm. to find. He has a pistol that he's able to find, but then he like he immediately walks in. And the first thing is there's that rifle like against the mantle, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well they Uh-oh. didn't they didn't show us that for no reason. <laughs> like, right. Clearly, it's Chekhov's gun. So, uh, you know, so their kid, and it's just like you, oh god, that scene's like heartbreaking too. Where it's like you, you think he's just you think he's isn't going to do it, right. and then and then you think even like the the that. Um, JT Walsh's wife like isn't privy to what has happened, so you think yeah. that she's like, "Like, how have you guys been doing this?" But then her flip to be like, "Do it mm-hmm. <laughs> to her kid," and the kid does hesitate, like he doesn't want to do it. Uh, no, you can see her like holding back tears in his eyes that he doesn't. Well, and want I just to love that. like the the stakes as set up. I mean, like of course, of course, Kurt Russell has to walk in there with gun raised and be like, "I'll blow your fucking head off unless you do it." I and like he's not a. a cold-blooded killer he's not you know up to the task most likely he just needs to make them believe that he is and believe that he is serious until he can get his wife out of there so like he's putting on this front and then like it's not it's not somebody in the gang coming in and putting a gun to his head it's a kid and so like us as the audience even if you're thinking like you know you can turn and get a shot off or you can drive or like you can throw yourself against the guy and get him against the door maybe get the gun away like it's a kid don't shoot yeah. the kid. Like, you don't want any harm to come to the child either. The kid is just doing what he thinks is best with the situation. And so, like, it adds, like, a little extra level to the the, the intensity of the scene where you're, like, even if he can get the drop on that kid, you don't want to kill the child. Mm-hmm. So, like, but, like, you're not going to be able to convince the kid to not listen to his mom and dad. So, like, how the fuck does he get out of this situation? And so, like, it just keeps putting him in, like, just out of the frying pan into the fire over and over and over it's just a series of fire fire uh, uh frying pans all the way down but i i love that turn of him being like your husband's a stone cold killer he's got my wife in the garage and they show his wife's face it's very like confused and i'm thinking like like a john wayne gacy situation of like your husband I mean, first off uh, uh, ladies, if there are any ladies listen to the show, if your husband has any house or door or room or anything that's on the property that has a padlock on the outside of it and you're not allowed to go into it, you need to call the police 
because they're not doing anything good at all. That is yes. a that is a murder den or or maybe even something much worse. Don't ever trust it. But that seems to be the situation here is that he's got a padlocked door on the floor of the barn that his wife does not go into and has no idea what he's doing. So we believe that maybe she's going to be like, what, what is he talking about? What's going on here? But she, the first words out of her mouth are, do it, like shoot him. And so like that immediately like snaps the tension. Like it doesn't release any tension. It just goes off to where he has to lunge and there's a whole like fight in, in order for him to get the gun away from the kid. And the, that whole final sequence, like uh, of him marching him out there, um, the the um, Jack Noseworthy, who's a member of the gang, he escapes at the back door, so we don't know mm-hmm. where he goes. So we're like, okay, there's like a loose guy somewhere around here, but like Kurt Russell still got the family at gunpoint. He walks them out to the barn to get his wife out, which is, I guess, the first time that the wife, like uh, the uh, uh, JT Walsh's wife, actually sees that yes, uh, your husband is a monster and he kidnaps women and keeps them in freezers in the in the basement. Probably should have asked about that before. Um, but the the final sequence, I think, is maybe... I could see it being described as a, as a bridge too far. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it. Uh, well, so I think that... Um, yes, but it's earned. That's the thing. Sure. It's like, it, I think it's its own sort of isolated piece. It's definitely a bridge too far because I was sort of cackling with how mm-hmm. sort of over the top, like, especially, you know, the, the, the finale, right yes. over the bridge oh, where yeah. it's like the truck is hanging off and it's like the, um, you know, it's like the, uh, the trailer sequence in the lost world where, oh, like, yeah. you know, they're hanging off the edge and, and Vince Vaughn's got to climb his way back up through that or, or not Vince Vaughn, excuse me, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Um, yeah. And so, um, so it, like, it reminded me of that. And so it's like, obviously that's like an adventure movie. You know, you already mentioned Indiana mm-hmm. Jones and it's like, okay, that's another Spielberg adventure movie, John Williams score blaring sort of thing. So mm-hmm. like this one doesn't have that. And so like in that situation, it's a bit sort of silly, but I think because the movie is so tightly constructed and this is, this is your big, big, like, finale tense, tense moment. I think, it's, I think it's earned, like, and you could forgive it. Though I couldn't help, but <laughs> when J.T. Walsh meets his end, you know, you already mentioned there's something about Mary. And mm-hmm. uh, speaking of an actor from that, I thought of uh, Chris Elliott's line in Groundhog Day when Bill Murray drives the car off the cliff. <laughs> and he's, like, looking over it. And he's like, oh, well, he might have survived. He might be okay. Probably not now. Oh, not now. (laughs) (laughs) That reminded me of that when he like falls to the rock, but like he sees that just like glimmer that like, oh, he's still alive. Yeah, he starts to move his head a little bit. But then like Amy moves it to where the whole semi drops. Cold-blooded, dude. And like, like there's allusions to like what had been going on well like it, it, we don't need to get into those but like i'm sure that the, he's not a good guy so like you don't no. feel like she did anything wrong in, in what she did but that whole ending sequence i mean because it starts with them running away from the house going to there's like a trailer down the road and trying to call the cops from the trailer and jt walsh gets in his truck the, his, his semi that he was in earlier and drives it through the fucking trailer yeah while they're rams in it, it. 
just, yeah. just blows it in half. And then they get in a truck and there's a high speed chase. And then like what you were saying, it's hanging off of the, the, if they go over to like the, a bridge that's over a Creek about mm-hmm. like 60, 80 feet up. Uh, it's a very shallow Creek, not like the water that you'd be able to fall into and float away. It's like, a, it's like a, it's a stream. Yeah. With it's more rock it. than. Yeah. Water. <laughs> it's in, it's in Arizona. So it's much water as you'll find. So he, that's what he falls down to is this giant stone cracks his head. And then that wasn't enough for Amy, who drops the fucking semi truck on him, uh, like like the shot in Goldeneye, like when when the yes. when the fucking satellite yes. comes down and lands on Alec Trevelyan, and it blows him up. That shot, and it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. No, it's, it's great. It's, it's well, it's earned. Like I said, it, like I don't think the movie it gets over the top, but it doesn't mm-hmm. like approach any sort of like like out of bounds way for the characters the way the movie's constructed and so and and i think that sequence like that is probably how mostow got the terminator 3 job you know other than probably other than probably most filmmakers being like uh third terminator i have to follow james cameron (laughs) i i don't think i want to do that um but like you know an up-and-coming largely music video director with a, Mm. a, a a breakout movie um you know gets offered it it's like oh yeah sure i'll direct a terminator movie so I mean, I, I can't blame him. I, I, I think in our discussion, I, I also don't really remember it, but it, the uh, it wasn't COVID's fault. I don't know what it could have been. Uh, sip, sip. Uh, but um, <laughs> I, I I think we largely talked about the action sequences and stuff were well done, but it's the material and, and yeah. just the fact that, like, you can't follow it. You know, exactly. Uh, you can't follow up on what James Cameron did and then try and undo it. Like, it was too great, and now you're just kind of shitting mm-hmm. on it. But, but the I material here is, is great. so good. I think he wrote it too. I want to say I think he wrote the script for this. Uh, um, he did. Uh, the, there's Sam Montgomery has the screenplay credit on IMDb, um, but it, he's the story credit. So, I oh, mean, there, there you go. So that, well done. It's, it's yeah, I think so. The movie's so tightly constructed. There's not a wasted moment in it, and it just moves from beginning to end. Um, yeah, and you get all types of movies. It's like you get like a white knuckle action movie, but you also get this like really, really like nerve frying, uh, drawn out suspense thriller, mm-hmm. um, and it's good. And and um, Kurt Russell's just he's. I thought this was one of his best performances in in my opinion. Like it's it's very good. It's it's very understated. It's it's not. He usually will go. Uh, he'll go hammy. Uh, he'll go character yeah. actor style of like snake pliskin like call me snake yeah Uh, like doing that voice or as as we'll see down the road uh um uh, big trouble in little china uh he's very big and boisterous captain ron same kind of style of character but this character uh, megan refers to him as like he's a dad character he just looks like a dad and plays off like a dad uh who's like all right kids time to get in the car and he doesn't break that he doesn't break that character. At the end of the movie, he's not ripped polo shirt with a bandana on, grease on the face. Like, dude, he is the same character through and through. And, and like his arc, more or less, is is I mean, just becoming like a more assertive person, I guess. But yeah. like, it, it's not really that kind of movie where he needs to learn a lesson. It's like, what if, like the vanishing? What if you had your wife kidnapped? by some fucking crazy people and you had to go to extreme lengths to get her back. Like, could you do it? And that's basically what they're doing here. 
And it's all the better for it that they didn't try and weave in any greater lessons or anything like that. Just let the story speak for itself. And it's a great story. It is. It's fantastic. Um, it's not a great story. <laughs> I knew it. I knew the exact same. <laughs> I didn't. I, I, they're your picks. I didn't want to steal your thunder, but you like you 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 put it on like it's like a wiffle ball. I dangled it out there. Yeah, yeah. I had to smack it out of the park. It was right there. Um, but I'll give it back to you. Rest stop from two thousand six. Um, I. I I know you have, we don't have a lot to say, and I want to preface, we're going to get to this movie very quickly, and we're not going to even go through the beats that we we're did not gonna beat for it. breakdown no, no. by any stretch of the word. Um, but a little bit of, uh, at least I had a little bit of context of, of like the lead into this movie, and I think you had some more you wanted to touch on. But mm-hmm. this, so this movie came out in 2006, and it was um, a very short-lived sub-label of, of Warner Home Video called Raw Feed. Uh, they mm. did like another movie called like Sublime and Otis, and these were like supposed to be like for the DVD market like extreme horror movies. The, mm. These were coming off the backs of the French New Extremity movies like Martyrs and uh, High Tension, uh, mm. mo- like the torture porn movement with movies like Saw and Hostel. The, these were what they were trying to do. Um, so that's a little bit of like backstory for that. Um, so this label only lived for like two years. <laughs> I think, I think it was bookended with rest stop. And then they did make a sequel to this movie. Um, and then that was it. And then they closed their doors. Um, but I will kick it over to you um, because you had to do some research, but you actually didn't do long research because you watched no. this one and we were immediately like, yeah, this is the one we're doing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So like I said, when I was forming the episode, I wanted to talk about breakdown and I wanted to talk about hitcher. So then I needed to find a, a, a road trip, thriller um that was bad and so i'm sure that there are plenty of other examples but i just literally went to google and typed in movies like the hitcher or and and started looking around and and rest stop came up in threads but the there wasn't really much information didn't seem like a lot of people were really watching it i uh had it on the list along with uh wrong turn uh because i remember watching wrong turn and not liking it but i I know that was a bit more well known that that may have been more appropriate for the show because like you said this is a straight to dvd release and so it feels like sort of punching down um but i I would also contend that just because you're releasing the theater doesn't automatically mean that your movie is good yep there are plenty of good movies that don't have theatrical releases just like there are plenty of movies with theatrical releases that are complete dog shit um, also Wild straight Fox. to DVD. Yes. Also straight to DVD horror movies that are very good as well. Um, yes. you know, like we've sung the praises of your, your arrow videos and your vinegar syndromes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they've released movies that were only ever came out on VHS once upon a time. And there's some good stuff. So yeah, the great stuff. Yeah. So like we're not, we're not deliberately picking on the movie because of, of what it is. I think there's a, a few things that are glaringly bad about the movie. And even when I started watching it, I, I remember one of the things that, that made me put it on the list is I watched the trailer first. And in the trailer, it starts with too shocking for theaters. And I was like, that's not what the problem is. They, they, there wasn't like a board of people that watched it. And they were like, I mean, the theatrical audiences would probably love it, but it's just too shocking guys. We just can't, I mean, ah, we just, it's, it's too soon off the back of Saw. People are, are uh, 
Like, it was the selling point, uh, you know, because, like, you right. know, that was the thing. It was, it, and even the DVD, because it was also, even outside the realm of horror, like, remember when you'd get, like, the unrated version of American Pie? It was, mm-hmm. like, it was the version too shocking for yeah. theaters. I was like, oh, cool. There was just one shot of him getting up on the table with the pie, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was too shocking. The, the one scene that the stupid MPAA made them cut to avoid an NC-17, that's it. Theaters, that's theaters would have resisted it. I did notice pretty early on, because this movie's got that sort of, like, attempt to have, like, a 70s sort of grimy aesthetic to it. Yes. And I at least appreciated that it is sort of, like, genuine in its look. Because I, I feel like a lot of, like, pastiche horror movies that are on a small budget, and probably mm-hmm. ones that would specifically go to DVD, like... And, and it's probably just circumstances and the way things have changed, but a lot of them are, like, shot digitally, and they add the, like, terrible, that, like, grain filter on, like, mm. Adobe Premiere onto mm. it, and it looks, looks terrible. Wolf Cop. Um, <laughs> looking at you. Um, so, like, at least, at least this movie is, like, genuine in its sort of, like, aesthetic and approach. Mm-hmm. I think it's the wrong approach to this script. Yes. But it is genuine in its in in its sort of, like, what it's trying to do and so it's like i i at least gave credit for that immediately i was like oh yeah this is shot on film and it's mm-hmm. even shot on 16 millimeter i believe so it's like got a got a heavy grain to it mm-hmm. so i was like okay like i was like i'll hear you movie i'll watch you <laughs> like this you're at least getting me into checking this out but uh well and it's yeah. worth mentioning because the although this is a straight to to, to dvd movie the guy uh and uh uh, John Schip- uh, Scheiben. John Scheiben. Um, he has a pedigree working mostly in television. Um, mm-hmm. Most notably for what I was going to mention about the, the show itself. He has a, uh, a storied history with the X-Files series as a writer. Um, he was a story editor and a, a writer for several episodes. Uh, for uh, He has 66 credits on IMDb for X-Files. Um, and it looks like he is a, a few episodes. Um, he has eight episodes of Supernatural as well, which is sort of like in that same vein. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this story, as it's told, very much sh- like should have or could have been a later season X Files episode. Yes, um, complete with cold open. Uh, that all like those shows usually start with is, is we'll start this text over screen telling you, you know, the location and the date. And there's a girl that goes into the bathroom of this rest stop middle of the night. The black keys are playing for some reason. And she goes to take a dump. And, uh, as she's like in the stall, she like, somebody comes in, uh, much like Halloween 2018. Uh, somebody comes in, she like hears their feet and it's just like, Hey, what are you doing out there? And there's a guy like looking through the, door like the the crack in the then the stall door uh, watching her take a dump and she is like hey you know get out of here or whatever and he scurries off and she opens the door and then the guy basically teleports behind her into the stall and hits her in the head and so then like we get this mystery of like oh okay there's some supernatural element going on here the guy like was out of the room and then in the stall behind her, even though she never left it. So like something strange is going on here. There's some creeper that's hanging out around this rest stop and attacking girls. I could envision this cutting to black, doing the. Like I could, I could see it in my brain and us coming back to Quantico and it's, it's 
Mulder is saying, hey, a girl went missing in this area of Arizona, and um, I, I've, I've traces back until the early 70s of girls going missing along this stretch of road, and Scully being like, oh, Mulder, you're, you're telling me that there's uh, some 70-year-old man that's out here uh, stalking this stretch of road and, and kidnapping girls? Like, uh, the, the man is ancient. There's no way he would have the strength. And that back and forth happening, and they go out to do the investigation. Like, it fits into that formula. But yes. instead... They stripped Mulder and Scully out. There's no beloved, no known characters or anything like that. And then just cut back to another rando girl who goes back to the rest stop and then is there for another 80 minutes. Basically. And and nothing of consequence happens. <laughs> no, I th- you, you made a good point of the X-Files episode. Because it's her and her boyfriend. They're going cross-country because yes. they're going to... He's an actor, I think. And he's like looking to... Um, you know, star. Yeah, they're going back to L.A. from Texas. Yes. And so that's where they find, you know, and also similarly to Breakdown, there's like a, you know, truck out sort of like mm-hmm. harassing them a bit. And, and so, the Hitcher. And, yeah, and the Hitcher. So um, so that's our through line. But then they end up at this rest stop. And um, and then that's, this is also where like the X-Files stuff kind of comes back into where it's like, is what she's seeing sort of real? Um, right. Like there's these sort of like, you know, almost like hallucinations that are happening, um, like ghosts of the past coming through, um, you know, this 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 rest stop is like stuck in time sort of thing. Um, and similarly to Breakdown, once again, she's in she finds himself there's like a sheriff's office around there and there's like all the sign or no, it's outside the rest stop. Excuse me. There is a sheriff's office, but yeah. she sees she sees all the posts posts of the missing girls that are like, you know, there's a bunch of like missing flyers that are outside that rest stop and um those are the people that she starts seeing throughout of it and um also very x-filesy also the one thing Mm -hmm. i thought of too is like you know very like tales from the crypt and that was what i wanted to like bring up was my sort of thing of like when i was watching this and especially by the time it ended i was like it felt like Doctor Strange in like those Avengers movies where like he's looking, he's like sees three million different outcomes, but only one of them mm. that they succeed. Mm-hmm. And that was like me watching this. I was like, "There's one world in which this <laughs> premise as is works," um, and it's as like a Tales from the Crypt. So it's got that more like ironic tone to it because mm. that's the other problem is like with this sort of like it needed to be like ethereal and like off kilter and a bit more like strange, maybe a little comedic, but not too comedic um, because it has such an otherworldly premise that like shooting it like the Texas chainsaw massacre or like that they were attempting to do is the completely wrong style for this type of like horror movie. Yeah. Like it needed to be more like, cause you know, cause it also has the, an ironic like tales from the crypt ending where it's like she's now stuck at that rest. She's now like one of the ghosts that people yeah. see. In there the was rest time stop. now. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like it needed it needed that sort of like buttoning to it, mm-hmm. and and it needed to be much shorter because even eighty minutes, this movie's struggling to fill its time. Yeah. And so it just it, it it's 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 all wrong. It's the wrong approach. And like I'm not like you know I love like practical effects just as a <laughs> as an art form. Mm-hmm. I don't sort of a gore hound i don't know where i would classify myself but what i'll say is that even if this was tailoring itself after the same sort of crowd as like hostile or like high tension mm-hmm. this movie is not that no. like in your face grimy or like in your face like extreme um no 
other than like one scene, which is almost accidentally hilarious because it's framed so badly. It's, but, it's uh, so fucking funny. It's hilarious. We'll we'll have to touch on it before we swing into the hitcher because yeah. there ain't much else to talk about with this movie. But um, it, it it isn't like because I don't love all the French New Extremity movies. Really, like I I like Martyrs quite a bit, but like High Tension, High Tension. I, it's well made from a technical standpoint, much more well made than this movie is for sure. Mm. Uh, but high tension obviously has that talk to death, stupid twist that undermines the whole thing. Uh, we've already talked about hostile on a previous episode. I think it was episode seven. Um, Saul will probably talk about eventually. Um, I'm like mixed on those movies, but one thing I could say that binds all of them is there's at least something memorable about all of those. And there's nothing memorable about rest stop uh, other than, other than the one scene and it's it's memorable not in a good way um no. just as a fan of of garth Marenghi's dark place i <laughs> i loved it <laughs> so i guess do you want me to set it up before we swing out yeah yeah sure so it's 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 uh well, um, and i guess we should talk about before we get into the scene maybe we should talk about the overall like supernatural thing that's going on and explain like the family in the RV and oh, the guy right. in the truck like they, there is sort of a, a strange like he's he's basically a, like a manifestation of karma. Yeah, or that's like true. Ho- or like holy justice, right? Because that family is a whole like you know whole like holy roller family, and they like yeah. save her from the the guy in the truck. But they're like, we didn't see a guy in the truck, and um, I, we ultimately yeah. find out that they're in cahoots with the guy in the truck. Like, because the guy in the truck, we so. I mean, other than the cold open where we see him attack the girl who's pooping, uh, the we see uh, they are driving across country and they stop in a field. Uh, talking about like the main character, I, I guess I'll look at their names. Uh, it, it's uh, Nicole, played by Jamie Alexander, uh, and then who? Oh, Jess, uh, Joseph George Mendocino. Um, so uh, Nicole and Jess are like in a field, fucking in their car, and then as they're like like you know banging it out the truck comes rolling by slowly and and we see like oh like they're being watched by somebody so ultimately the truck kidnaps jess which is like part of the plot reason why nicole is like locked at the rest stop and won't leave is that she wants to find out where jess is and, and what happened but it's basically like her running outside witnessing something happening and then running back inside the rest stop and being real scared and we just do different variations of that for the rest of the runtime of the movies there's no clever i'm gonna build a trap for the guy or oh i found a secret passage on my way out or like like nothing really happens of, of any interest and anything that's introduced as something that could be a left turn or a different way to take the plot is like immediately resolved in the next scene. I'm yes. thinking of she goes and breaks into the sheriff's office. And then when she breaks into the sheriff's office, she's, she's drinking alcohol uh, out of a bottle that she found in there, which is just like, now's not the fucking time to get limber and, and uh, uh, get inebriated and, and, you know, take a, take, you know, maybe your, um, ability to react to things away uh, when there's a serial killer stalking you uh, on the grounds, but she's just drinking straight from this bottle of whiskey, and then she raises somebody on a radio who's just like, "Oh, you know, right. I'm I, I'm on a CB. I'm a truck driver. Uh, I'm a few miles from where you're at, but I can I can call the police and and tell them where you're at. And oh, you know, yeah, that'd be great. And they have this short conversation. Next scene, 
the truck is there there's a confrontation um he's like chasing her around the grounds he stops and like has his lights on her she's like what do you want and he turns on his like uh speakers on the outside of the truck and plays back a recorded conversation that they had just had on the radio and so like there was no there was no like i've called like yeah i can call the cops on your behalf they'll be there in, in you know 30 minutes or an hour or whatever and then let the movie go with some set pieces as we're like cops are on the way cops are on the way just give it time the cops are going to be there soon they immediately squash that and just take all yeah. ten like okay like you could have had tension by making the audience think that we're, there's going to be some respite soon but you immediately just went like haha you got tricked it's like this works in a 30 minute television episode it doesn't work in a movie no no it doesn't and it just goes on way too long it's repetitive like you said they just keep scenes like that keep happening and then that's when we get to this scene with this girl that she's seeing and they get help a a police officer does show up Mm -hmm. um who's played Uh, by joey lawrence Lawrence, uh money plane himself uh (laughs) He he's known for a lot of popular sitcoms, but he will talk, always we be known talk as about Money Plane on this episode yet. <laughs> on the show, you mean? On the show yet? <laughs> Not yet. We will eventually. We, we will. Uh, um, Bosto is the concierge. Um, despite all the sitcoms he's been on, he will always be the concierge from Money Plane. Um, he's the only <laughs> actor of like note in this movie. Like, uh, like he's the only face like you, yeah. you've probably seen in things before. Um, I mean, Jamie Alexander now, she was, like, in the Thor oh, movies. But at, yeah, that, yeah. At, at that point in her career, she it was, like, her second or third movie. Like, she hadn't been in anything, so. So he, he shows up, um, and she's trying to get help so that she can unlock the janitorial closet. Because he's like, this girl's trapped in here and, like, need to get her out. And so he, like, opens the, the closet, and lo and behold, there is no girl there. Um and then he goes out and he is, or he's, is it uh, something slides through the window, right? That he gets attacked by. This, no, like, no. Guy. So he, he does go out, the truck pulls up and she's like, um, that guy, that's the guy, that's the guy who told my boyfriend and he's chasing me and he's like, okay, I'll go talk to him. And he goes and talks to him, which is one of the things that the movie is sort of setting up that he, the, the, the guy in the truck is something supernatural. He's able to teleport. He seems to be chasing after uh, uh, promiscuous uh, teens, I guess, for having sex. Like it, it's very much playing on that trope of "you had sex, now you die" sort of thing. But he's some he's somewhat supernatural to some extent. And the cop just goes and talks to him through the window of his truck, and then goes walking back up. He's like, "Oh no, yeah, he's just some guy. He got lost. He's just gonna head his way back to the highway." And then while he's having this conversation, the truck flies into frame and nails Joey Lawrence and runs him over. That's what and, it was. And then he's uh, he's like, oh, no. Like, uh, like, uh, bleh, like I mean, I'll, he got hit by a truck. So I shouldn't be like a pretty He's a huge pussy about it. He got hit by a truck. He's like really crying. Uh, <laughs> he's, like, he's laying in the road. He's hurt. But I thought it was I thought it was funny that he hits him, rolls by, and then uh, 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 Nicole runs out. And he's like, oh my god, I, oh, I'll help you. And like, like hooks under his armpits. Drags him back into the rest stop. <laughs> well, she, she lifts him up and starts dragging him. And then the truck slowly backs up and goes over his legs. And she stops moving him in the road because they needed to get the shot of the truck going over his legs. So they, it really slowly like goes over while he's just going, ah! <laughs> like, you made no attempt to move him out of the way. No. Um, but then because... because 
the because the sheriff brought his motorcycle into the situation and the script needed it to be gone or else she would have had a way to get out there needed to be a reason that the motorcycle leaves so he backs over his legs and then the guy in the truck gets out and like in a wide shot while she is still holding onto the guy's arms he just gets out of the truck walks to the back he pulls a chain out of the back of the truck and he like hooks it up to the the motorbike and goes up make sure it's secured in the cab of his truck gets in and drives off and it's just like it's it's ri- like there's no scene in Halloween where Jamie Lee Curtis is uh, back up against a wall and then Michael Myers comes in and he, he locks a door because he needs to make sure that she can't escape that way. He like breaks the handle off and then and then he goes over and he shuts the window so that if the window gets open he makes sure that he, there's no like side like there's no scene in a movie where the killer is preparing the scene to like I need to make sure that you're not going to go this way or that way. It's more frantic than that. There's a chase going on and yes. like it, it's weird. It's really weird that the movie hits pause for this scene to spell out for the audience, well, this is how he he takes the bike away. Um, we need to show that he takes the bike away or else the audience would think that it's a way, it's a vehicle that she can use to get out. But we need to show her. She needs to see it and the audience needs to see it so that people don't worry about it. And it's like, it, it, that's like your, that's your first draft. Oh yeah. shit, that's right. There's a motorcycle there. How do we get it out? Uh, he chains it up and he drives off in truck. Okay, uh, uh, next scene. And you move on and then you just never revisited your draft and, and, and figured out something better like it's yeah. it's very amateurish it, it's it's pretty rough it, it, and it's like you know again it's it's this this filmmaker clearly has a storied tv history like mm-hmm. a lot of good like prestigious television under under his belt and it was just sort of a probably like i have this idea for a horror movie and then they let them make a horror movie but it just wasn't like in their sort of like toolkit of things mm-hmm. that they had um and, and clearly and i think it's just a miscalculation but um we gotta we gotta close out the scene and then get we, got, get we going. gotta get out yeah, but gotta go. but she 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 from there gets him into the rest stop and he's like bleeding out and he <laughs> asks, he's hurting. he tells her to take his pistol and to shoot him in the head to put him out of his misery and you already mentioned garth Marenghi's dark place mm-hmm. and it's very reminiscent of the the exploding guy who explodes and his just head is sitting there on the ground in the hospital. He's like, please. It really hurts. Oh, oh no. Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's because he count, he counts her back. Like it, it's, yeah. it's, they, they, it's really funny too. He's like, I need you to shoot me. Um, oh, by the way, first off, let me tell you, I have a wife and kid and I love them both very much. And this is wonderful life at home that if i were to die right now that's what i'm leaving behind okay now will you shoot me in the mouth it's just like just to make you feel extra bad about what i'm about to ask you to do and it is like what i'm leaving behind and it is like the not for comedic effect that like garth murray moment where they're both are sort of like building up to the moment of like i don't want to do it but it needs to to. happen yeah and so she does it and it's like the only sort of gruesome moment in Mm. in the in the whole movie because you Mm. you do see it fully there's there's brains on the ground yeah yeah. it's like the one one sort of quote-unquote extreme moment of the movie um and so she's like upset after he does it but then Again with this hallucination deal, he comes back to life and basically like, "You missed! You, you missed! You did it wrong!" Oh God! 
my God. Shoot me again. Shoot me again. Shoot me right now. puts it in his mouth and he still counts her back in the second time but like he's like three two oh because the gun barrels in his mouth and it just it nails that garth Marenghi. Oh! Yeah. we cut back to richard iowade for no reasons i don't i've never been exploded nor would i know what it's like to be exploded but you could see that scene meant a lot to garth there were tears on set that day from me not from garth he was strong for the crew john scheiben uh was just just fighting back the tears he's like no no this is the scene where you shoot the sheriff in the mouth (laughs) it's it's so it's like the one moment of joy i got in this whole like miserable experience because it's so comical it's it's so ridiculous and and it's played especially because it's played for dramatic effect you're supposed to be like oh man what a loss and you're like i don't give a shit about this guy i don't give a shit about what's going on in this movie and like this whole setup is fucking comical the guy seems fine he's talking he's like giving her directions he's lucid like he's probably not dying you don't have to shoot him in the head but you wanted to do it for the dramatic effect of the movie uh and then you botch the shit out of it to where it's not dramatic it's hilarious um (laughs) but then like and then like let me just rush to the end of this movie that happens. The the uh, killer guy dumps gasoline into the the uh, rest stop. He throws a match in, blows it up. She runs out. There's sort of a chase that happens. Uh, as she's like running, the truck stops in the woods. A guy gets out and starts walking nonchalantly with his hands in his pockets. And so she's like, "That's the truck driver." Runs up, hits him in the head with a tire iron, bashes his brains in, flips him over, and hits her boyfriend. Um, that the truck driver dressed up to look like him and had sewn his mouth shut, which I guess is to like stop him from saying that he was him screaming yeah. out. But like you could still like first off, you could still make sounds. Second of all, he got out of the driver's seat of the truck, so he was driving the truck. And then uh, third off, he's got his hands in his pockets and his feet aren't chained or anything. He's he's just going for a stroll in the woods when she attacks him. He could have ran. He could have. He could have done yeah. literally anything at all, but because they wanted to trick the audience, he didn't do any of those things, which just makes it extra stupid. Yeah. Because you didn't trick the audience, you did a really stupid thing, and then the audience saw it and went like, well, that's really fucking stupid. Yes. It, and I they guess, again play that for dramatic effect, and it doesn't work. Because of all this, um, because of, again, because they the approach was not right for the story it was telling, it's like most of this movie is like that last five minutes of high tension. Where it's mm-hmm. like, but you didn't even get the first 90 minutes of, like, a pretty good, like, chase horror movie. Like, right. a, like an athletically filmed horror movie leading up to the stupid twist. It's just mm-hmm. it's just that over and over again. It's because it's, it's, it's yeah. like those, the style leads you to think, like, gaps in logic. And it's just, it's just, not, it just doesn't compute. Um, it's the, it's the worst thing of the mid-2000s horror, like the post-French extremism horror bundled into a television show and then expanded out to an 80 minute movie i think that's a good way to end that conversation i can yeah I can stop <laughs> there's nothing else to talk about we talked about rest stop way too much it's all good so let's talk about a movie that uh fucking rocks 
Yes. Also <laughs> rely that actually relies on sort of like dream slash nightmare logic, oh, yeah. but actually does it in a way that's uh, effective for sure, which is the the hitcher, which was like this. Speaking of video, like this wasn't a straight to video movie, but this was a probably a video store favorite for a certain generation of, of horror fans. It's definitely a cult favorite. Um, it was also an HBO Films production. So I think it also, a lot of people caught it late at night on HBO, like mm. when it, you know, probably a couple years after it came out. Um, but yeah, this movie, um, I, I like you, I think I watched it for the first time, maybe like two years or so before you did, but it was also pretty new to me one um, in the last like five years because for a long time you couldn't access this movie really well. It wasn't hmm. on streaming. Like every once in a while it would pop on HBO um, who has the rights, I think um, since it was an HBO movie. But um, outside of that, it's not on streaming. There's a DVD that came out, which has been largely out of print. I lucked out finding it at our, our beloved uh, oh. half price books, fill a bag sale. Yeah. yeah. And I, I found it. I was like, I had to even double check and make sure it wasn't playing a trick on me and it wasn't like the 2007 Platinum Dunes remake, <laughs> which I haven't seen. It was the case, was, but the disc was inside was the 2007. Yeah, that would be, that would have been such a, such a, such a gut punch if that was the case. Um, but I had found it and I was like, oh, nope, this is actually it. So I finally got to watch it. Um, yeah. And I, I, I love this movie. It, it is a absolute like waking nightmare uh, mm-hmm. of a movie like completely ethereal like we were talking about rest stop should have been um i gotta look up the composer but it sounds like tangerine dream like when it first starts i was like did tangerine dream do the score for this movie it's not them but it, it's but it's, it's mark isham who did mark the isham okay yeah uh it's very reminiscent of a tangerine dream score oh yeah um but and it's it's just fantastic and it I will kick it over to you because this was your pick uh, and also maybe describing its place in the what category because it sounds like we're both very high on this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it, this this last watch uh, I watched uh, last night uh, was my second watch and on the second watch I loved it much more than the first one and I think there's like the first... I was trying to grapple with... I was trying to grapple with the, the movie on my first watch which I think is why I would put it into a what category. I, I think for... I think for most people uh it, this would maybe be a one-time watch because it's not it's not traditional storytelling no 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 at all uh, like you're saying it, it it does play out like a nightmare it, it and it and what i was going to say when i uh, earlier was, was when you were saying that it has like a, a nightmare quality to it i was starting to think maybe while watching it last night that it could possibly be a nightmare that it like it the the, the events in the movie don't actually happen and there is no there is no uh, last minute. Re- it was all a dream reveal, which I think no. is what saves it. If that were to happen, then the movie would quite possibly like it would be way lower on on my list than it currently is. But it it has that feel the entire time. But there's like weird shit that happens throughout it that makes me feel like maybe that's what's going on. And I think it might be included on purpose. But it's a what for me just because of the non traditional storytelling throughout it and the the fact that this is not going to be the the type of movie for everybody it's not yep. something that i could recommend to really anybody like oh you should totally see the witcher uh, the the not the witcher you should uh, <laughs> the uh, the witcher i uh, know um you should see the hitcher um but 
there are a, a lot of people, especially if you're into thrillers and you're into horror movies, like this is probably going to be up your alley just because it's it's just different enough. And on paper, it, like the synopsis that I wrote, it, uh, on a cross-country trip, Jim Halsey, who's placed by C. Thomas Howell, is struggling to stay awake. Spotting a hitchhiker in a rainstorm, he stops against his better judgment to pick up John Ryder, Rudger Hauer, a crazed killer bent on making this a trip Jim will never forget. And it... I, I, it might be it, it might just from that description seem by the numbers and to me it seemed by the numbers and I um, did you ever see the movie California with Brad Pitt I have not no with a K yeah no I'm um, where it, it, it basically is uh, uh, natural born killers if they were in your back seat that, that's the whole sort of premise in the movie. They pick up these hitchhikers, they're crazed, and it becomes basically a hostage situation throughout the movie as mm. they're traveling from place to place to place. And so having seen California as a younger person, and, and from my memory it's all right. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, it, that just might be my X-Files slash David Duchovny love leaking into my memory. <laughs> but... Uh, I like saw praise for the hitcher and I in my brain thought of it the same way like it's gonna be like two guys in a car doing like a, a, a you know they go from set piece to set piece and you know how do they get out of this one or how does he try to escape and I just there was never a point in my life where I was like yeah okay now I'm really gonna dive into it and like you said it wasn't easily accessible and so then I was just scrolling through HBO uh, a, a few months back and saw that it was on there and I was like oh shit you know I've always heard of the hitcher yeah, it's not the Sean Bean one. Uh, although I no diss to Sean Bean, I love Sean Bean, but I it just I don't love Platinum Dunes. So, so we could diss Platinum Dunes. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I was like, fuck <laughs> Platinum Dunes, but except for the Friday Thirteenth remake. Um, but I, I I was just like, okay, cool. I'm gonna give it a shot, and I gave it a shot, and it was not at all what I was expecting. Like it was it was completely out of left field in in, in the way that it's structured and. Just the way that it's presented, which is gorgeous. I, I love the... And and uh, we should also talk about it has not been accessible up until now. However, uh, in January, Second Sight uh, Video out of the UK announced that they had the 35mm negative of uh, the Hitcher. And they yes. will be putting out a 4K uh, version of it at some point this year. Which I will absolutely be picking up day one. Um, because this movie... Even the way that it's presented on HBO right now is not great. It's, it's it has bad. to be the DVD rip, right? It is. That That's the only version that has been accessible to anybody at this moment is this sort of is the DVD rip. Um, which the great. DVD itself is is not good. I mean, it's it's what we got, mm-hmm. but that's it. Like, it, it, it's just, it's unfortunate um, because yeah. the movie deserves to be seen in its full, like, glory because it's a gorgeous movie i mean the the dp of this movie was john seal for god's sakes john seal mm-hmm. the great john seal who shot mad max fury road among many other things who came out of retirement actually uh, i think if i'm not mistaken he was retired and he came out of retirement to shoot mad max fury road but we've already talked about that you can go back and listen yeah. to that episode but um yeah the great john seal seal shot this movie and it's just gorgeous like the the landscape shots are, mm-hmm. are beautiful. The action moves at a clip. It's like it's also an action movie too. Like in addition yeah. to being a horror movie, oh, um, hell yeah, it is. Yeah, like the the, the police chases and that that C. Thomas Howell's character is like could, could consistently put up for what Rutger Hauer is doing. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's also that scene too, that not to like get too movie referential, uh, and specifically movies we talked about in this podcast. But there's a scene that reminded me of Looper, where they're both like sitting at the diner, like across from each other. It's oh like, yeah, like like I feel like I bet Ryan Johnson's probably a big fan of this movie. I would imagine. <laughs> um, but it's just it it's so good, and and the movie gets into it right away too. Like from the fact of mm-hmm. like from the opening credits. And that that C. Thomas Howell picks up Rutger Hauer, and uh, and like you already tell something's off about him, and immediately, yeah, immediately, and he says something to the effect of like, um, you know, like, uh, oh, I, what is he? C. Thomas Howell says something to him, and he starts laughing, and he's like, "That's what the last guy said." He's like, well, "What do yeah. you mean the last guy said?" He's like, "Oh, before I left him <laughs> dead in his car." Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> That so the opening scenes of the movie are just that score with rain, yes, and it's a shot of the desert at night and just headlights moving. It's just like we were talking about in Breakdown, where it's a car on a lonesome road, like isolated by himself. And we cut into this the inside of the car with C. Thomas Howell, who's like listening to the radio. It's like we can't really hear it, there's no information that's going on the radio that the audience really needs to hear. We just need to like have the setting, and he's smoking a cigarette. And he's like losing consciousness. He's like fall. He's like falling asleep. Like he's traveling at night by himself on a long road. Been traveling for a long time, and it, it sets the scene. It's very ethereal, very very moody, very dark. And then after a close call of him dozing off, and a, a truck almost hits him, he's you know he sees a, a, a silhouette of a man with his thumb out, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna pick this guy up. And I love that he pulls over to pick the guy up. And when he opens the door, he says, my mother told me never to do this. Which yes. Is, it's, it's just that, it's just that immediately like the, that, um, uh, urban legend sort of thing like that, that uh, against my better judgment, I'm going to let you into my car. Uh, but like, I would never in a million years imagine that you're the crazed psychopath that, that my mother has always told me about. And that's exactly what he is and worse. Um, yes. But what he says to him, is he, he gets in and he basically asks him, like, you're going to tell me where you're going? And he's like, uh-huh. And then doesn't say where he's going. And they have, like, this sort of, like, weird, ten- like, there's this tension going on in the car where you're like, why isn't he telling where he's going? And he's like, can I have a cigarette? And he's like, okay. And he, like, takes a cigarette and uh, not exactly sure what we're talking about. And they are passing a car that's on the side of the road. And Rutger Hauer reaches over and shoves his leg down to hit the gas, and they speed past the car. And he's like, what was that about? And he, like, doesn't answer him, and, and he kind of tells him, like, oh, you know, I ran out of gas. Oh, okay, so you need to go to a gas station. All right, so they're driving. And then sometime later, he's like, uh, well, you know, we're going to take you to a gas Oh, he says, uh, you know, gas stations, they sell cigarettes. He's like, well, yeah, they sell cigarettes, but, you know, uh, we were going to get you gas. He goes, I don't need gas. And then that's when C. Thomas Howell goes, what do you want? And then that's when he starts laughing. <laughs> What's so funny? That's what the other guy said. <laughs> Who's the other guy? The guy who was driving that car back there. The guy who picked me up before you did. Was that him in the car? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Could have walked very far. Why is that? Because I cut off his legs and his arms and his head. And I'm going to do the same to you. 
it's it's such a like a a, a a a moment of being like nervous and being like this guy's like off he's not right but we're not sure exactly what type of not right until he's just like yeah if, you know quartered a guy and decapitated him and left his body parts back in his car back there and i'm gonna do that to you too and then immediately we're like oh, oh fuck <laughs> like oh yeah. shit we're in a right into different it. pot of water gets right into it and the movie doesn't i it, like this is a movie too that i it it i wouldn't say it's all peaks you know like like we were talking about breakdown has its peaks and valleys but it certainly is it maintains a certain amount of momentum for sure because um, it has to, right? Because it becomes not only, you know, is C. Thomas Howell having to outrun this crazed guy who basically told him he was going to cut his arms and his legs and his head off, but all these bodies that Rutger Hauer has left in the wake are now being pinned on C. Thomas Howell. So not only is he escaping this crazed psychopath, but the cops think that he's done all these things. So he's on the lam from the law too. So it's like, there's already in this desert where there's like hardly anybody there. Nobody's on, on his side, except for maybe Mm. Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, but that's, that's it. (laughs) Well, and I, I would call this movie peaks and valleys, although I would call it like a cardiogram where (laughs) when you're talking about peaks and valleys, like there is an expectation of curvature where we're, we're, we're going up and now we're going down. There's like a bit of, uh, of a slalom where as this movie, because of its dream logic, and it's one of the things that makes it a what, but also one of the things that I sort of adore about the movie is that it's a, a because of dream logic, you don't have to have connective tissue. So in a dream, much like they talk about in Inception, uh, when, when they're at the coffee shop and Leo DiCaprio is just like, how did we get here? Do you, do you remember how we got here? And uh, Elliot Page can't remember uh, what they're talking about and, and uh, like oh I, I I don't know and then shit starts exploding because of the realization of oh my god we're in a dream it's that same sort of logic here where he has him in the car we're driving um, he puts a knife to his throat and he's gonna kill him but the door is ajar so he leans over takes the door pushes it open and, and, and shoves Rucker Hauer out into the highway and then drives off and leaves him and then while he's driving at, at daytime, it's no longer nighttime. There's no longer pouring rain. He's still driving, as far as we know, he's, he's been driving the whole time. A station wagon ra- uh, with a with a trailer somehow is speeding way faster than him and caught up at some with some point in the middle of the night. Yes, gets in front of his car and in the back of it is Rutger Hauer riding yep. with his family with these children found, in the back with the children <laughs> in the back and they somehow. <laughs> He somehow found this family, got into their car, and caught up with him, and, and like on the same stretch of road. And so then, like, oh my, like you, you gotta pull over. That guy's a fucking psycho. He uh, has a, uh, well, I wouldn't say near. He gets clipped. He gets clipped by a bus and goes sliding off the road. Their car continues on down the highway. He catches up with their car, and Rucker Hauer has killed everybody in the car, including the children. Everyone is dead. And then see Thomas Howell like has a, a throw up fit, drives on down the road, and we cut to he's in the middle of a sandstorm, like Mad Max for your road, like you mentioned. Like you can't see an inch in front of your face. There's sand blowing everywhere. And he walks right. into this abandoned tire shop that's in the middle of the desert, and Rucker Hauer is there, but he doesn't kill him. He just kinda lets him know that he's there and, and then he like slowly like makes his way outside, just letting him know like if I wanted to kill you, I could kill you. And then he gets in a passing truck and takes off. And so, like, 
the movie is structured in these series of little scenes that we jump to, but there's no scene of of him meeting other characters. Uh, there, there's no like Jennifer Jason Lee is in the movie, but there's no there's no real meet cute. There's no. no real story that's going on that like maybe they will end up together. Like they there definitely is a relationship between the characters, but it's not told in a traditional way because the story has to jump from we're in this story now. We're in this story yes. now. We're in this story now. And it it makes sense uh, linearly, but in a like story sense, it is completely outside of really anything else that I can I can think of or compare it to. Totally. I think the movie and it, and it's it's more off kilter and it's not like a traditional horror movie and it's one we've talked about in the show. I think the most honestly the most like closest example I could think of was something like Lost Highway was like the the one thing yes. I think of where like it's 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 like linearly if you think about it you put it together it's like yeah you get where you went but it's like you're outside of the space and time where things are happening and it's like Rutger Hauer's almost like Robert Blake's character in that movie, like when he hands Bill Pullman the phone, he's like, I'm in your house right now. Like you can mm-hmm. talk to me. Uh, like, and it's a lot, it reminded me a lot of that movie. Um, yes. It would probably be the closest approximation. That's a, that's a very good comparison. It's very much like lost highway. Very yeah. Lynchian, very Lynchian, but, but predates that sort of like style of, of David Lynch, um, you know, right. as well. Well, and also and, goes outside of it. It's not pure David Lynch. Like no. David Lynch never made anything, like the third act of this movie. No, this movie is still even in its logic more like palatable to somebody who is just going to watch it cold, you know, like cause lost highway. It's like, you have something like that. You like really have to be primed to watch it. Whereas like the hitcher, you could still follow a sort of like, you know, there's still a sort of slasher element to the movie mm. mm-hmm. and like an action element to the movie, like the genre elements. Well, like that's, the raw why genre a, elements that's why it's a thriller. Like yes. I, I know that it, it very often falls onto the horror shelf and rest stop would also probably fall onto the horror shelf because that's I what it's so. going for. I, I, I don't think it accomplished the horror, which is why I felt comfortable putting it into the thriller episode is that totally it has thriller elements that don't work and it has horror elements that don't work. So I can put it in whatever category I want. Fuck you. But Hitcher, <laughs> Hitcher is very commonly referred to as horror. However, the the the, the scene later on in the movie, and I, I don't want to step on toes or, or or get too far ahead, but like later on in the movie, as you said, the cops are after him. Jennifer Jason Lee is more or less taking his side, and they commandeer a police vehicle, and they're driving down the road, and they're getting chased by cops who are shooting at them. And there's a helicopter, and the guy in the helicopter has a machine gun. And so there's like a, a, a crazy fucking highway chase with with cars flipping and going off into dunes and like explosions and crazy shit. And you're like, this is this is like like rivals lethal weapon in a, in its scale and or, shit that's going or, on. A uh, road warrior. A road <laughs> warrior. Like, like it like it very much feels like that type of movie. And it's like this is not this is not a pure horror. This is not a it's pure not. slasher in any way whatsoever. No, it's not. It, it, the elements are there for mm-hmm. it. And so it's like, I understand why people categorize it as such, but it's like, there's so many other, like, like I said, raw genre elements here at play. Right. Um, you know, and again, like, like the last third of this movie, it's a straight up action movie. I can't think oh, yeah. of another, like, like I, I, there's no other way to call it. It's like, it's an action sequence that, that partakes or takes up the last, what 20 30 minutes of this film oh easy so it's like yeah it, it's it's a thriller for sure and it's like I, i'm not gonna get too nitty nitpicky about what people want to call it but i think no. i think you're well within your means to place it where you placed it in terms of like thriller because 
it's 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 that for sure um i also want to mention uh that uh jeffrey demon is in the movie uh oh yeah good bad what alumni uh from uh christmas evil uh yes also a frank darabont staple i'm always glad whenever i see him i'm like hey it's, you know, it's, it's that guy Dale. from the mist um, and, yeah and walking dead <laughs> when he was but, uh, he, he 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 lasted uh in the walking dead about as long as i did watching the show <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah anyway um, <laughs> yeah, this doesn't need to, to dog leg into a, a, a shitting on the Walking Dead. Although I would love to do that. Um, no, the the uh, no, a couple of final points about the Hitcher. Yeah. When I was watching it last night, and I maybe this is a thing I didn't look it up or anything, so maybe it's been discussed before. But the beginning of the movie of him driving in the dark. The soft synth is playing. It's a very, it's a very like lullaby thing. Like there's, there's rain pattering. It sort of is setting you up for a mood to you yourself, the audience, to feel like you want to go to sleep. Like it's, it's very much trying to lull you into that. And we see our main character is, you know, losing his consciousness. And even when he picks up, uh, uh, Rucker Hauer, he says, or I don't know if he says it to him or if he says it to. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee later on in the movie but he says like I picked him up because I was falling asleep and I wanted to stay awake there are points in the movie where C. Thomas Howell does something that you would typically do to try and wake yourself up or to stay awake and then that's when Rucker Howard will seemingly come out of the mist to attack him <laughs> almost as if he's like a, like a dream demon almost yes. as if he's like a uh, like a Freddy Krueger uh, and, and and I I don't know like it was just something I was thinking last night when I was watching it like there's a scene where after um, after the scene when he's in the sandstorm that I was describing earlier and he drives off in that truck we see see Thomas Howell driving down the road and he has a thermos of we assume coffee uh, although we haven't seen him with this thermos before he suddenly has one with coffee in it uh, and he goes to take a drink of it and when he goes to start taking a drink out of it the truck rams into the trunk of his car and it turns right. into that. Like, and it like shakes him out of it and he's like, Oh shit. And there, there are, there are multiple moments like that where he starts to, to, uh, Oh, um, whenever he takes a shower, he gets interrupted by something crazy. Yes. He, when he, when he goes to the, when he goes to the diner, he takes a shower and then the cops show up and they like throw him on the truck and they, they drag him off of the murders. And then later on in the movie at the hotel, he goes to take a shower and Rucker Howard takes his girlfriend but it's like it's whenever he does something traditionally like putting water in your face drinking caffeine or, or like anything that you would do to normally wake yourself up Rucker Howard will appear out of nowhere and attack him and I don't, I don't know if that's that was just me last night maybe being like that's a strange little motif to have that whenever you would do something that's associated with being alert and awake that's when you get attacked by this strange man who seemingly can bend space and time and appear wherever he needs to be no, that's an interesting like point, and I think that it's it's, I, I think, I think it's a great like theory, and I think it's I I think the filmmakers were onto something for it. I think it's a hundred percent there. Um, my only thing, and it it's um, is if it were to continue with that, it's like I almost even though I love the final moments of the movie, I wish it was a bit more ambiguous because 
the sort of mm-hmm. fates of Rutger Hauer's character. Uh, yeah, it's not really that ambiguous. <laughs> no, uh, unless unless it's still in his you know dream with your like motif that you're talking about, right? That it's something right. that he finally you know had to realize and do or 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 whatever um right so i mean he does i mean the last shot is him as the sun setting or, yeah. or no sunset no sorry shot. i thought it was sun it is i thought it was thinking of sun rise sorry i thought the sun was rising never mind i was thinking of the sun was rising and it's like oh i think it is setting up. right didn't it go from data yeah it's setting it's setting yeah it's setting yeah then where he's just smoking a cigarette that's so it's yeah a, and it's just a cool silhouette shot. and it, like that's one of the shots where it's just like damn it i wish this was a better transfer because like this would look yes. really fucking good but it's like it's like the aspect ratio is like really small and like grainy and i'm like yeah the only the only people who've gotten to see like a good transfer of this is like probably at like a like a terror tuesday at an alamo draft house if they had the 35 millimeter print mm-hmm. of it like it probably is wear and tear but it's probably the best it's looked to most people because the, the home video is just not up to snuff but it will be it will be soon yeah. enough second sight Second sight. If, the, if you if, have not if, gotten their Dawn of the Dead uh, uh, 4K edition, it's, run out and get it. It's it's fucking phenomenal. Flawless. Like that. Uh, they did a Blu-ray of Extro. Mm-hmm. Uh, a favorite of mine we'll probably talk about someday. Um, yeah. Like, it's they do good work. So I'm really looking forward to when we see that transfer because... Uh, yeah, it's it's a bummer what we see now because I know knowing the work that John Seal has done with George Miller and knowing the work he's done with Peter Weir on movies like Witness, I was like, oh, yeah. I know this looks gorgeous. We mm-hmm. just can't see it because of the transfer. Yeah, excited to see it, and and uh, I hope that I mean we went over quite a bit of the movie, and if you haven't seen The Hitcher, we we, we you know if you haven't listened to the show before welcome but we also get tangential and we jump from point to point we, we, these aren't structured we don't have scripts uh it's just us kind of shooting shit about movies that we love um but the i hope that it didn't turn you off from the movie I, there, there's nothing that we could really explain here by us talking on microphones that could explain the kind of movie and structure and presentation mm-hmm. that the hitcher is it really is an experience and yes. and uh, the, the that cannot be understated. I know that a lot of people will like to say that this movie is an experience. Avatar is an experience. Well, sure it is if you go to the theater and you see it with the 3D glasses and it's the first time seeing it and whatnot. But like the Hitcher, no matter in what format that you're seeing it in, even in its poor grainy presentation that's on HBO right now, is unlike anything that you've probably ever seen before. Yes, and it's and it's so indicative of the medium of film, right? Like right. the Hitcher operates on such a level where it's like this wouldn't have worked as a, a TV series as it can't we be as we else. no as we suspected Rest Stop uh, started as or at least a TV yes. episode, right? Like it, this, it wouldn't work as that. This is purely operating on a, on a cinematic language level, and so it's like we could talk about the plot further, but I don't think there's any reason to other than to no. say to go see it because it it it's like it is a chase movie. It's a streamlined sort of like chase movie ultimately. Um, so it's with, like with huge set pieces. Yeah. And, and there was money and just, behind this for sure. Oh yeah. And that, yeah. that's one of the most surprising things is that you like the way that's presented, you kind of think up front that it's going to be pretty straightforward, that there's, uh, there's going to be some kills or some off screen allusions to kills of him. Like, Oh yeah, the guy back there, I cut his head off and his legs off and, and you know, did the whole thing. And you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, this is 86 and so 
by this time we've had the Friday the 13th we've had the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street if they wanted to get super gory with practical effects and stuff they could have shown a, a disembodied corpse like laying yep. back there like but they didn't and so like you kind of think it's going to go that way and then you're like okay this is low budget they're going to be cutting corners here and there and then shit starts exploding and this gunfights and crashing helicopters and like like everything's just going insane and you're like okay well obviously it is meant to be built at this as this sort of powder keg that by the end of it, it, it you are feeling as insane as like the characters are in the movie and it's it's structured so 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 well but also so unlike anything that i've seen before agreed uh the last thing i would say um i as much as you know they, they they helped me get into film at a young age, so it's like cannot discount ever. But uh, most famously, Siskel and Ebert hated yeah. this movie. They both, for the, the <laughs> Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sometimes, respectively, gave the movie a zero out of four star. I think Roger Ebert called it like vile, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um was one of the quotes and uh, reprehensible. I think was was snuck in there. Was time. another one, and I, I I love the two of you. May you both rest in peace. You were very wrong. You were both very very wrong in the picture. Yeah, because <laughs> this movie's well, and, great. I, and as you said, we were having the conversation earlier. Siskel and Ebert, like very famously, were pretty like anti horror movies. Like they yeah. just weren't they weren't fans of them. So oh yeah. I'm yeah. sure that that kind of like oh it's not highbrow art but it's like yeah. I, I don't want to say fuck you because I, I respect both of them as, as film critics but I love horror for what it is and, and <laughs> I don't know it, it we all do like moving moving the bar or moving the goalposts whatever you want to call it but like it like horror has its place um, yeah and it, it it has a majority of my heart. Me too. I mean, we're just grew up in the generation who watched this type of stuff, right? It's sleepovers oh, yeah. and whatever, seeking it out. So it just it just is what it is. Um, but yeah, that's our episode. Uh, I think we both definitely recommend you see Breakdown and The Hitcher. Oh, uh, yeah. Both both are on HBO Max uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. So definitely check that out. Uh, rest up. You don't need to. We watched it, so you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> there, there is a 4K release of Breakdown, which I have. Um, oh, okay. The transfer's okay. That. Um, and then there, as we said, there's a 4k transfer of the hitcher that is coming down the road. Uh, hopefully 2022, uh, second sight can, they'll, they'll push them. I, I know that like, uh, the Martin, uh, 4k was supposed to come out sometime in 2021 and we're still waiting on a date here in 2022 yeah. for it. So, um, they, they'll, they'll, they'll push it as need be, but having seen the work that second sight pictures puts out for, for their movies, going to be worth it worth the wait so it but just just keep an ear to the ground if the hitcher 4k is something that you're interested in absolutely worth doing um can't wait cannot wait for that i'm like grinning ear to ear I'm like I let me too. see it i want to see it <laughs> let me see it i want to see it um anyway <laughs> uh next week um i guess i have to tease some picks yeah, right your picks. um the theme of the episode is going to be uh i'm getting like somewhat cheeky with it it's hashtag squad goals um it's but it's essentially <laughs> i know okay it's, it's essentially uh I, I don't know if you've seen those on social media where people will put that in a squad spelled like s-k-a-w-d but anyway no, um, no i have not so these these are the three movies we're going to be discussing are like uh like historical fiction they're like based on true stories 
Uh, and they're basically about a, a gang on the side of quote unquote good who are rounded up to vanquish some kind of um, some kind of bad, mostly a criminal. Um, okay. So that'll be the binding thread between them. Um, but you can look out for that next week. But in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TheGoodBadWhat, and you can email us at TheGoodTheBadTheWhat at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website, and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at thochristo89 or on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. And you can follow me on Twitter at Riley90, that's R-Y-O-L-I-E 90, or on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with hashtag squad goals. God I can't, damn it. I can't do it without <laughs> laughing. <laughs>